Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. This week, we are discussing Season 9, Episode 9, Adventures in Bailey City, which had an original air date of December 5th of 1987. And already on the Zoom call with me are Matthew and our very special guest star, Dominic Rothbard. Hi, Dominic. Hi, guys. How's it going? Welcome back. Uh, I'm so happy to be back. I just realized, as you said this, uh, the date uh, of this episode is uh, the day after my eighth birthday. So this (gasps) must have been a very special episode for me because I know I was watching around then. um, And I do have quite a fondness for this episode. And so I wonder if I was just in like a birthday spirits when I watched it. But rewatching it, I still thought it was great. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but I really, really enjoyed this as well. It's a very whimsical episode, isn't it? <laughs> we have to. We, maybe I'm just slowly getting better at at releasing myself. At what are we saying? Surrendering, surrender to the whimsy. That's the the catchphrase. Uh, this is for our uh, tens of listeners. This is the hurricane edition of Let's Face the Facts. Hurricane Ian came through and hit Florida and uh, blew right through Orlando, right through our our fair city, beautiful. Uh, we had some punishing rain, some punishing wind. And uh, thankfully, Matthew is still with uh, power and internet. I am still with power. And uh, I have, uh, I'm on, I'm recording this on my phone, which is why the audio may sound a little bit weird. But you know what? Neither snow, nor sleet, nor hail, nor hurricane can stop us from providing you, our faithful listeners, with this powerhouse of entertainment each and every week. Jesus, Beverly Ann. (laughs) Oh yes, I we feel like it was a missed opportunity having me as a guest for the Hurricane episode when you could have had Flyman himself, Michael Damon, be here. I'm sure. I'm sure he's not doing anything, and he would love a Hurricane themed episode. Oh, truly, like Michael Damon is rock on, and then he's Flyman. She is in a different world, and then it stops. I did not follow what happened after him after the '80s. So I don't know. Hmm. But but when I think of hurricanes, I think of fun. <laughs> That's all. I don't know who you guys are talking about. All I remember is a character that Joe referred to as Flyman. <laughs> <laughs> who is this Flyman person that you're talking about? I mean, yeah. earlier I was watching Superman 3 and <laughs> I was thinking about Batman. Um, but... <laughs> I don't know who this flyman person is. <laughs> anyway, but we'll 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 tell you after the after we finish recording this. We'll we'll bring you up to speed, Matthew, on who that is. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so we're really happy to have you back, Dominic, as our kindred spirit, fellow facts of life podcaster. It's really nice to have you back. And based on our last conversation, 
I believe when I emailed you, you said you would be back and you would be wearing your jock strap. Yeah. Are you? We. Uh, you don't have to show me. You, your I, modesty is of our utmost importance. But let's see. Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, my God. He's actually showing us. Wow. Okay. Son um, of a bitch. <laughs> he is wearing it. He just showed us on the Zoom screen, folks. And it looked good and starchy. I'm just going to say it. I tried to keep him clean. <laughs> well, there's no need for that. I mean, <laughs> taking half the fun out of it, isn't it? But, oh, right. bless. Wow. Oh, why don't we have more guests that are willing to show us that? Show us their underwear. I know. It's, yeah. Dominic, you have set a new standard. Well, invite <laughs> me back and maybe I'll go commando. Oh, wow. I am. Don't worry. Don't worry. No, Matthew, you can sit down. Uh, oh. Matthew, we're, we're good. Uh, Thank uh, you. We, we believe you. Uh, all right. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, immediately so, off the rails with this podcast. Yeah, but let's bring it back. Let's talk about nuts and bolts, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> this story was by Jerry Barcholon and Michelle Gendelman. Of course, uh, who doesn't love a good Barcholon Gendelman script? I know I do. This is their first time as uh, credited as a team. And they were the story people. The teleplay was only by Jerry Barcholon, the first name there. So this is the only Facts of Life episode either of them would write. They will both go on to write episodes of The New Gidget, as well as uh, be story editors on that show. And Barcholon would go on to write and be a story editor on a show called Super Carrier, which was a 1988 show. Do either of you remember this? I'm not familiar with Super Carrier. Yeah. In 1988, probably not the best title to choose in the height of the AIDS epidemic, etc. Uh, I, I can't imagine that really worked in their favor. But it's about the lives and missions of the crew of a large U.S. Navy aircraft carrier. So uh, I thought it was like one guy with all the STDs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, sounds zero. Like, it sounds like one of those stories where it's like the population is going to be wiped out. If Matt Damon doesn't figure out a way to get through it. Yeah. Outbreak, the, the Dustin Hoffman, Rene Russo movie or something Oof. like that. Ms. Gendelman would also be a writer and story editor for Newhart, which is wow. no slouch of a credit. But uh, we haven't really uh, seen much from them recently. They don't have a lot of credits. The episode was directed by John Boab. And now, Dominic Rothbard. Yes. It is time for our guest to be put on the spot and give us the one to two sentence TV guide synopsis. When you are ready, please proceed, sir. Okay. It's funny. I was put on the spot last time, and this time I shouldn't have been because I just did this like nine episodes ago, but nope, I forgot. <laughs> okay. So I'm on the spot. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Um, uh, Blair shirks her responsibilities babysitting her miracle child sister and Andy loses her and swaps her out for a little Spanish girl. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. And honestly, uh, I, I commend you for being able to kind of cut through all the other stuff. Cause in my second watch, when I was really digesting and taking notes on the episode, it was mostly it, measles. 
we've got the measles, we've got a bomb threat, we've got a deadline, and we've got an engagement ring. We have a lot of shit happening that I'm very surprised they actually managed to all intermingle and, and tie together. Uh, nothing funnier than a bomb threat when you need to inject some life into a comedic narrative. And it really I mean, felt like wouldn't? this script was written without Natalie in mind. And then they were like, oh shit, we have one more. <laughs> like, Natalie's I've... plot was basically the writers trying to figure out a plot for Natalie. I felt mm-hmm. that way about Pippa. I was like, like, do you remember the season one? The problem was too many people. And now they're adding, they've added Pippa. And it's like her job was to sit in front of the phone. Okay. Mm-hmm. There was a point when Pippa actually said, what can I do? And I was like, good question, Pippa. <laughs> right? Why are you here? <laughs> yes. Oh. So true. Uh, if you're watching the Daily Motion version, the syndicated version, uh, her first scene is actually cut when she first comes home and uh, Beverly Ann first alerts her to the measles scare. So that is not there. But um, but anyway, we're, we'll get to that because let's start proceeding through this episode now, kind of doing my, my scene by scene. Please. Our show begins in the living room. It's fudge. It's fudge. <laughs> It's Matthew. fudge. Oh, how good is it to see fudge again? <laughs> Marge. Marge. Do say. Yeah, but it's spelled, it's spelled funny, so it's more like fudge. <laughs> we have Monica. Monica Warner is there with Blair. This is Marge to say returning for, sadly, her final appearance as That's Monica. More. That's not fair. They gave her a shitty last episode. But it's one of those times where it's like you don't know it's the last time you're seeing somebody. And and everything, you know, you always have a last time seeing somebody. I just wish we would have gotten a better fudge send-off. I thought that was this was a pretty good... I mean, like, it wasn't... It didn't, like, say, hey, we're sending fudge off. <laughs> but uh, but it, I thought, like, you know, she, it was a funny episode. She had a point to be there. She had she had a bit at the end where she could be all smug and funny. Um, she she at least had stuff to do. It wasn't like she was brushing that kid's hair and then being like off to the governor's lunch and then never coming back. I I will never say no to more fudge. So I wanted her more involved. I needed more fudge in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we lack in quantity, I think we do get in quality. She doesn't well, have many lines, but she she does what she does so well. Because she's fudge. She's brilliant. And I just, mm-hmm. of course, we get quality. But damn it, I just, I needed to see her gorgeous face. And anyway. My well. issue with her gorgeous face is that it has aged since, uh, significantly since the. Um, How dare you? the heyday of like Edna's edibles. And um, this child is so weird to be hers. It just really, you think it's a grandma. You really think that Blair is the child's parent. You just look at it and uh, and she's she's a miracle baby. Like, I don't know how a 106 year old woman was able to have this baby, but I'm really excited. 
And I feel like we should be talking more about that in this episode. Also, this baby, now please correct me if I'm wrong. This baby is growing really fast. No, like how long ago was Bailey born? Because Bailey was like as tall as me this episode. Oh, <laughs> well, funny you should ask. I did look that look back at that. And Christmas Baby, the episode where the baby was born, uh, you will recall after only uh, eight weeks in gestation, it was December of 85. So at this point, we're at December of 87. She is just shy of her second birthday. And uh, to be honest, I think the so age ominous. of Bailey is right. Is if time moves in the way that nine months is actually eight weeks, then yes, I agree. But that is a four-year-old child at the very least. That is a tall, tall two-year-old. Oh, you think so? Okay. Yes. That is a big kid, David. I thought That's a she big was, two-year-old? I thought she was four if she was the day. And, and I couldn't get over why everyone has to carry that bitch. Why is everyone <laughs> fucking picking her up? Let Jesus, everybody's acting like she's like an infant. That kid is walking. That kid yeah. is talking. Oh, okay. No, well, a two no year old would be walking and talking. Articulate, oh, hi there, Auntie Joe, as well as this one did. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I, 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 again, I have no frame of reference. I can't say anything, but at least as they write her and as they have directed this, carrying her, they're treating her like the age that she ought to be. Yes, because they are. Everything I, except for the actor is right. Like the, Although, like, who's going to take a two-year-old to the movies? Like, that's annoying. And then, like, when you, like, pass it on to another person, you're like, you take the two-year-old to the movies. Like, no. No. <laughs> By the time you're playing telephone... And it's now the third person that's in charge of this kid. The movies are out. Put on the television. Take off the wig for crying out loud. Child <laughs> is not happy. Uh, but anyway, that, well, I'm getting ahead of everything. But that's just like, I can't believe Andy was like, I'm going to honor the deal of taking this two-year-old, in air quotes, to the movies, to, to the cartoon matinee. Why do they keep calling it that? That was weird, too. That was weird, too. Well, Andy is like, well, this child is clearly four years old and can take care of herself. That's probably what yeah, Andy I mean, was remember, thinking. He bought, she was buying at the concession stand. Like, she's not two. And he sent her to the bathroom by herself. Also, really, really yeah, that bad. Was a, that was definitely a mistake. Yeah, definitely a mistake. She was like the kid in Poltergeist to me. Like, she was like dead behind the eyes, that kid. Oh, <laughs> and, and also, it made me very uncomfortable. Like when we started with Fudge brushing her hair and counting to a hundred, that girl has the finest hair, so delicate. A hundred brushes just made my scalp hurt on her yeah. behalf, and that was like the way we started this episode. And I was like, oh. And the brushing your hair a hundred times, I, I swear, didn't we see like? Samantha on Bewitched doing that shit. I felt like that was such an outdated thing. Is that a thing? Yeah, but like I, Samantha I don't know. had big, thick hair. Sure, it probably required it. It's been processed many times. This little girl's poor head. I wish they would have made that little girl into a mini Monica and put like a like a bouffant like like eighties wig on her or something. And I just wanted her to be like a little 
little miniature Monica. I want like I that would have been awesome, but that's just me. Put her in a baby wig. Why is Monica going to the governor's lunch? <sighs> because because we need a reason to have Blair looking after Bailey, her baby sister. And remember Bailey, remember the baby that Monica didn't want to have and Blair convinced her and said, let me have the baby, let me raise her. Okay, at the very least, I will be heavily, heavily involved. Um, yeah. yeah, not delivering on that promise in this episode, Blair Z. No, she seems to hate this baby. <laughs> well, anyway, that's what we've kind of already uh, gone through what, what happens here is that uh, Blair is looking after Bailey for the day. Monica is going to be gone. So it's like, you know, gee, I hope nothing goes wrong with that. Yeah, uh, gone at the governor's lunch. Like they just brushed over that. And I'm like, excuse me, why are you going? I'm very invested in the governor's lunch. <laughs> why is the governor's lunch? Like, is I don't know. It's just peak skills that happen in place. In the middle of this day, there's like young lawyers tea. There's the governor's lunch. The fanciest peak skill has ever been is a December 1987. With Gloria Steinem probably making a third return engagement to lecture at Langley College. She loves lecturing at Langley. Yeah, you know, and then they go out to that fancy French restaurant with the string quartet and all the other, uh, and it, you, we are, we are so not wrong, but. <laughs> there's there's anyway. a fancy side of peak skill that Facts of Life is trying to uncover. So among the several other B, C, D, E, and F stories here, uh, Beverly Ann is, uh, call me crazy, but she's uh, ha has reason to be fussy this episode. Turns out Oliver's niece has the measles. They had taken her to the zoo the day before, so Beverly Ann is worried that she's been exposed to the measles and therefore shouldn't probably spend much time with Bailey. She needs to be concerned about Pippa. Uh, we're still talking about Oliver. How curious when last week Beverly M was going out with that uh, hot young legal student, the 28 year old that Blair was trying to woo in the Arose by Any Other Age episode. Yeah, yes. Beverly Ann gets around. But if I mean, like you saw how she had that belted jumpsuit, she's keeping it super tight. Like, oh, yeah. You, if you have a chance to fuck around with Beverly Ann in the mid 80s and you're not, that's that's on you. Oh, we got full cooter view when she was stretching when Pippa first came into the whole thing. She was doing her yoga and her stretches, and they made sure to have it be going right up the valley there. So, oh, yeah. Cooter view. <laughs> um, but the, the fact that we're still talking about Oliver, he is still alive and well in a part of Beverly Ann's life when we never see Orson Bean again. Orson Bean has made two appearances. He's done. So that she's still talking about this. Um, I guess what one could say is it is it is still canon because she went out with the young guy. And when they got to talking about getting serious, you know, when uh, when young Larry, 28 year old Larry was talking about getting married and having a family. And why would you date if you're not thinking about that? Beverly Ann says, I actually don't. She implies dating is just about going out and sharing company and having, you know, having a good time sex sex <laughs> well i don't think she fucks larry i don't think they ever get to that point but yeah what she and oliver are doing because this is this is getting pushing to be a year now that she's been uh companions with oliver so uh 
It's just interesting that he's still mentioned. Anyway, it's a reason for Beverly Ann to be neurotic and fussy about something. Yay! Uh, I still, I'm coming back to it saying, I still, I love every time Beverly Ann's on the screen, she lights it up for me. I love her. I um, agree too. I just wish they had written her better. We've we've had discussions like this. And we did gloss over one thing though that I think is important to the plot as well as something I want to make fun of, which is um, that Blair's like, did you bring the clown costume that I asked you to bring so that I could take Bailey to the cartoon matinee? in costumes so what why is blair interested in dressing her sister up like a clown it just seems like extra effort and also why is everybody wear dressed like a clown what is this event this dress like a clown and go to the cartoon matinee event that they they never make clear and is very confusing and in identical costumes as well that we yes. find by the end of the show, no fewer than three identical. Cl- is it they only had one clown costume over at the Kmart that all it children very bought? Fancy, but when their costume store is like definitely the <laughs> least fancy part of Beekskill, <laughs> um, the whole thing was it was very strange to me. Um, the the concept, and then when she pulls that thing out, that is a clown costume for a twenty seven year old. That is it was huge. <laughs> Yeah, regardless <laughs> of what we say about the child, when she pulls the costume out, that was I could no doubt I could fit that. And Andy says later when they're like, "What? What happened? How could you lose her?" He's like, "There were so many kids dressed as clowns and adults too." Doesn't yeah. he say that? That he even does. the grown-ups are dressed. Who doesn't dress up like a clown to take your pre-toddler to a cartoon matinee? As so, though that's totally normal. And I just need a modicum of explanation on why we're all clowns today. That's all. I just wanted to get, get, I just wanted to bring that up before we go into Natalie's hunt for a plot. Y'all ever been to a Star Wars or a Harry Potter movie? (laughs) I mean. True. True. I I sat next to a C-3PO, for God's sake, at The Force Awakens. So, I mean. I guess that didn't really bother me that much. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to admit it didn't bother me much either. But, you know, Matthew, Dominic doesn't have the sense of whimsy that you and I clearly have. Obviously. To the table with season nine. I mean, I wanted to understand. It's a really weird thing where it's like, oh, yes, we're taking our child to the all clown event where anybody could be swapped out for another clown. You got to be really careful. It just feels weird that like, we're not like explaining why this is an event, but it's fine. We can move on. I have to tell you, there was one year I did, there were two different years that I did the SeaWorld Spooktacular event and the amount of nine-year-old boys in full body Spider-Man costumes with the mask covering the head I looked at, I was like, oh my God, do these people realize if your fucking Spider-Man kid wanders off, you are screwed. You, you, you would not be able to find that child again. I'm like, I would have my damn kid on a leash if I ever brought them to one of these, uh, particularly web if you're wearing a, a licensed. It's like a web leash. So it's on brand. You, know? <laughs> you go, Tweet! yeah, 
Exactly. So uh, to me, in my brain, yeah, if this wasn't a clown, if this was the, oh, we're dressing like Blippo the Clown because it's a a series of Blippo the Clown cartoon shorts. But, uh, you know, know, it's not like we don't want to complicate things. And so all the kids want to dress like Blippo. (gasps) Blippo. Yes. 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 A local. This is a local, a local like car dealership person is sponsoring it. And the kids are excited to meet Blippo there. We just fucking fix this. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be a movie that kids cosplay for, but that's fine. (laughs) Move on. Well, more disturbing than all this clown costuming. uh, Joe is in a skirt and I found it to be a little upsetting. Do you have any thoughts about that? I wrote that she looked like a linebacker. Her boobs were like too high. And then it made the whole thing look like, like she was hiding a pregnancy. Like it was very strange. I'm not even saying she was fat. It was just like, it was very square. And yes, the boobs were too high. Lower those guys. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> David likes boys in Spider-Man costumes and Dominic likes low sagging, sweet, low, sweet chariots. They were just like they've never been as high as they were there. I just I expect my Joe to have a less boobalicious situation going on. She just walked in. And I was like, whoa. Nancy McKeon would probably say the same thing if she watched the episode now. My boobs were never as high as they were in 1987. <laughs> Yeah, well, we like what we like, Matthew, and you like starchy jock straps and fudge. So there it is. Guilty. <laughs> I will definitely agree with you, Dominic, that in the 80s style, it was all so blousey. It, it did nothing to enhance her figure. It just made her look bigger than we all know she is and uh, it took a bit away from uh, the beauty that we know is uh, Nancy McKeon. And she also had on these weird like boot shoes they weren't quite boots they weren't quite shoes they came up over the ankle shoots shoots <laughs> and more important than anything they were flats they were not a heel i wondered at first i was like oh my god she's in a skirt is she in heels no of course not what was what was i thinking <laughs> anyhow blair realizes that she has an important lunch that she forgot so she basically dumps off bailey on joe That's all fine and dandy, except Joe gets a call that a bomb threat was called into the center. So Joe has to pawn off Bailey to young 14-year-old Andy. Because no one can be trusted more with a child than a 14-year-old boy who is just trolling for pussy the whole time. What's he? He's not paying attention. There's an adult in the kitchen. Just tell tell it. Exactly. Anyway, um, although, like, can we just say if there was a bomb scare at any building, the first thing that anybody would do is not call. Oh, we have an employee that's not in the building. Let's call them and have them come in. So they get exploded, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And why is it Joe? It's like, call Casey. He's the one that fucking runs the place. What are you calling me for? I'm just a, I'm just on the payroll. That's above my pay grade, bitches. Well, and the fact that Joe had to be like, get everybody out of the building and call the police. Like somebody was sitting in there going, we have no idea what to do. There's oh, a bomb, bomb threat. <laughs> Call Joe? Shit. 
uh, should we just sit here and, and hope or, or what do we do? And Joe had to be that like, why not a pipe burst or something? Why did it have to be like everybody else? Cause here's the thing. Because everybody Natalie's else is not going to write a story about a pipe bursting, but that's probably what it was initially. And then they still needed to figure out a plot for Natalie. And they're, oh, make it a story. But the bomb threat was the only reason of all the reasons to dump Bailey the bomb threat was so severe. Whereas Blair could have like, if it was like, Oh, I have a meeting with my advisor or something that I just, I can't, I can't get out of. It was a T Blair. It was a T. This is when you go, Oh, I guess I'm not going to go to this T today. Whereas I guess like a bomb threat, they were like, Bomb threat. Okay, so Joe, you have a legitimate reason for dumping Bailey. Everybody else, it was like a governor's lunch, a tea. Um, okay, those are all things that don't seem important enough to dump a kid, but whatever. I'll give Joe the bomb threat. Okay. I I agree. It was it was very severe, and maybe they they went with that severity, like you said, so that Natalie wouldn't be the one left behind with Bailey. Natalie would be like, what? Bomb threat? That's a story. I'm going to follow it. Because Natalie's only purpose in this is every single time someone says something, she comes up with a headline for a story. So can we assume that Natalie got that job at the Peekskill, Peekskill Press? No. What was the other, the other paper that she did the ROTC expose on? Do we, can we assume then that she got that job and that's what she's writing for? Because we, we don't know. What, what other journalism work she's doing, correct? I believe she does say it's the Peak Skill Press. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, also, what the hell? Is the, is the Peak Skill Press just assign articles? Like, find a news story? <laughs> yes, find that, some news. And it's that like- was my question as well, because I have several friends who've written for newspapers, and that's not at all how that works. <laughs> at all. So we like come on, nope. pretend like you know things. Also, Tootie, uh, Natalie was so mean to Tootie when she was like, Is it cold outside? And yes, that's a dumb Tootie question. But like it didn't really need Natalie to say it's winter in New York. Where are your bathing suit? Like, whoa. Like really. <laughs> <intense."> <laughs> yeah. But don't put a coat on your child dressed in a clown costume. No, no. Not um, that cold, but yeah. And let's yeah. not. Ignore Tootie's little storyline here. So we have Natalie with the article. We have Joe with the bomb threat. We have Blair looking after her sister. We have Beverly Ann calling home to Appleton to try and find out if she ever had the measles because she can't remember. And she's telling that plot to people. Like she tells that plot to Pippa with so little explanation. Like if you recall, it's like, um, she's like, Pippa, we may have the measles. I need to call my doctor and find out my records. And she's like, you think they're going to have them at like, like, she's like literally like so orienting the way Beverly Ann explained the records thing to Pippa. And she mm-hmm. just like, she didn't ask any questions, even though there were like five questions to ask. And instead it was like, I'm going to make an old joke. I thought that was weird. That's Beverly Ann's MO throughout this is like, she's on her own plot and she's just kind of spouting her own storylines and everybody's doing something else around her and not listening to her. It's very strange. And I mean, who is Beverly Ann's GP? I'm assuming general practitioner that is still working 
and is going to be like, oh, Beverly Ann. Yeah, I have all your records here. Thank you for calling. <laughs> this motherfucker must be 90 years old. If she's 60 <laughs> and he was a full-blown doctor when she was a kid. Come on. I don't even think I could call my general practitioner, my pediatrician right now. No I, way. No. But she was so confident. She's like, oh, they'll have them. They may be on stone tablets, but they'll have them. It was a funny joke, but it, it was it was like they're not going to have them. It's he's uh, dead. I, yes. Beverly Ann. Your general <laughs> practitioner is dead. <laughs> so the plot line we have not yet addressed is that Tootie is kind of not around to participate much in this because she's going to meet Jeff to pick out her engagement ring. So if you recall, two weeks ago, she and Jeff got engaged. So they're making it official. And I have to say, I like the fact that when she comes back, she's flashing the ring around. Beverly Ann doesn't notice it. Andy doesn't notice it. And at the very end of the episode, when she comes in and sees that they've gotten Bailey back, she's like, Bailey! And Bailey goes, pretty ring! It's just, I think it's cute that they brought that all back home. They they inter interwove all of this stuff uh, well enough, I guess. I Maybe the so Beverly too. Ann thing, the Beverly Ann thing was a little bit off in a different place, but uh, isn't Cloris Leachman always, really, when you think about it? It's true. How long has it been, do you think, at this point? Because at this point, Blair is now exhausted with the child and it's and she's dressed like a clown already. How long have they been doing this? Because we learned that like Joe's like she got she just finished napping 15 minutes ago. How much effort has Blair put into this? And between this and Joe giving her pots and pans to hit to keep her occupied. What the fuck is wrong with you, Joe? (laughs) I wrote down several times, turn on the damn TV. She says she wants to watch TV multiple times. Let the kid watch TV. Jesus Christ. I'm starting to think they don't have one. It's the 1980s. The television was child supervision in a box for crying out loud. I, I, uh, yes, but yeah. We, to answer your question, Dominic, I'm I'm like I feel like it's like an hour. Like after an hour, Blair is like, "Well, fuck, I'm I'm out of things to talk about with her." Uh, Joe says that she napped, woke up from a nap 15 minutes ago. So, hmm, I don't know, but yeah, they imply that Blair has very quickly run out of any way to engage with Bailey. That that wasn't just you know exhaustively tedious for Blair. Rethinking your stance on abortion now, Blair. (laughs) But the complication is after Andy is sent off to the cartoon matinee with clown clad Bailey, when he comes home with clown clad Bailey. Thank you, Beverly Ann. With clown clad Bailey. (laughs) Dude, I, I can't shake it. I'm it's the, it's the spirit of Chloris infiltrates me. I love that you think it only started when Cloris came on the show, but okay. Okay. It's my favorite aspect of Beverly Ann. I get that it could drive you wild, but everything that she says is so odd. It's like you took, you took the long road every which way that you went and made a a, a bananas paragraph (laughs) 
And I'm so happy that you did because nobody else is going to take the time to go that way. So that was fun. Well, thank you. I'm glad you appreciate that we talk. So when she pulls the wig off of the, of quote unquote, Bailey, we do not have a little blondie, pale, blue-eyed, entitled white child. We have a darker-complected, dark-haired Latina child. An illegal. And no, no, stop. I'm just joking. No, Jesus Christ. But a, a very funny, this is, this is Cloris at her comedic best when she's trying to talk to the child after commercial just to find out who the fuck she is. She says, what is your name? And the little girl goes, Kay? Hello, Kay, I'm Beverly Ann. And what's your last name? Como? Kay Como. Oh, isn't that, she is just so invested and it's clueless. It's one of my favorite jokes on of sitcoms. Like the Kay Como bit has lasted with me since I was a kid. I thought it was hilarious then. I still think it's hilarious. When um, when Cloris Leachman died, I actually isolated that specific clip and posted it on Facebook, on, on the, the uh, Facebook. And um, yeah, I just absolutely love that bit. And I really love it when Blair just absolutely keeps running with it and just very sincerely, that's how we found Keikomo. Like there was yeah. so many good <laughs> moments that fucking cracked me up every single time um and like serious as a heart attack because yeah. it's the it was when he sent her into the ladies room and being mm-hmm. a 14 year old boy he's like i'm not going in the ladies room with her and you know well did you bring her into the men's room with you no she had to go and honestly that kind of did work for me i was like i i imagine a 14 year old would be like what i don't you don't bring a little girl into the men's room well, totally. it's like yes you do when you're a dad even i know that but uh, this whole thing of Kay and Como is so fucking ridiculous and funny. And uh, I have to say, the, the two points where the show lost me, where even my extended sense of whimsy had to go, huh? When we're at the center, there is no reason for the scene at the center with Joe looking around for a fucking bum and Natalie thinking there's a big story there other than a desperate, hysterical Latina woman comes in holding Bailey. And it's like, so that's just the most bizarre coincidence. Is it like, oh, so is the movie theater next to the center? Is that- David, nobody knows how to handle a crisis. They have to talk to Joe. She would have to go to the center. The center, yeah. Go when you have the wrong child, or when you have the wrong child. She didn't know to go to the police because she didn't talk to Joe beforehand. Where Joe said, Call the police, like just like she did with the bomb threat. Yeah, that's you're right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. You're totally right. Yeah, but it is a funny interchange where the woman is saying in Spanish, she's saying, My daughter is lost. Please help me. This is not my child. And Joe, who doesn't speak Spanish, is like. Can't you know what is your problem? And the Spanish woman says, "Por favor, ayúdame." I loved that. I did too. I loved thought that was it. Another great moment. I think we glossed over yet another one of my favorite moments, which is uh, when uh, Beverly Ann 
inadvertently convinces her ex-husband Frank's new wife that she uh, may have given him an STD. <laughs> yes. I wrote down, yes. wow, an AIDS joke. Hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it could have been chlamydia. I literally went chlamydia in my head, but then I, but you're right. Yeah. In, but, in like, 88, you think when, that was... I assumed, no, I guess she left Frank like to join the show. Is that right? She was like, it wasn't yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Frank so had an affair. Yeah. That ended the marriage. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I really enjoyed that bit because it was just Cloris Leachman with two, like on the phone with two different characters. Uh, it's mm-hmm. really, she played that extremely well. I thought that was so funny and well done. Um, so I just wanted to make sure we didn't gloss past that because it made my heart sing, even though, yeah, you're right. It probably was an AIDS joke. she is brilliant at phone acting the other girls could take a lesson from her and how she handles a a phone conversation oh and i also liked lap time with bailey which was like nap time but it was lap time where blair puts bailey on her lap and then reads her her uh itinerary for the week and was teaching her numbers and when she went one and two and then she went oh no and joe was like oh, that's as far as she can go that was another <laughs> solid laugh for me i thought this episode was really peppered with some really good jokes i would agree my favorite one that actually made me laugh out loud at the beginning was when um she goes how are we to natalie and tootie and natalie turns out that smile on her face and goes we are suicidal yeah i laughed la- great i laughed at that i laughed out loud I did too. Agreed. I also I, there was the concept of you know basically Natalie teaching what suicidal was to a right. two year old, which I enjoyed. Yeah, beautiful. Yes, good good moments, really and truly. And when she walks into a place where there's a bomb threat, right behind Joe goes boom. <laughs> that got, that was a little <laughs> dark. I mean that. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I felt I found myself giggling throughout the whole thing. Like they never really. Like even at the most dramatic moment, you have kind of the best joke of it. Like with the the and that's where you found Kay Como. Like it's like they even when like you're trying to pull all the drama from this episode, they really, you know, shoot you in the face with a water gun. And it's great. Yeah. So the next uh thing where I reach the, the limits of my whimsy is that with when Bailey says hi Auntie Joe and they realize that this completely random woman who has walked in to this random location happens to have a child that they know they're like wait what the fuck is going on here so then they say let's take her to the police station and take Bailey home so uh, let's let's look at the timeline of what's happening off camera later we're at the house Joe and Natalie come home with Bailey. So presumably they took the mother, the Spanish speaking mother to the police station and left her there. So that's all fine and dandy. Well, Beverly Ann and Tootie have taken Kay Como. They were going to take her to the police station. So the, uh, when they called the police station, there was no there was no crossing of lines saying, oh, you, you've got a, a missing kid. We've got a woman here looking for a kid. You know what I mean? 
We yes. never find out the fate of Kay Como, of course. I can tell because... you what it is. It's measles because she was in the car with Beverly Ann and Beverly Ann was only concerned about not giving Bailey the measles, but Kay Como didn't <laughs> get it. Yeah. Yeah. And we never do learn the fate of Kay Como. We don't know that she is ever reunited with her mother because they are not white people. You are racist, facts of life. Heard it here first. <laughs> so we get only a tiny bit of sitcom lying when Pippa is trying to at least tread water for a bit when Monica comes back looking for Blair and the baby. And then it doesn't last long because thankfully they don't make Monica stupid. Monica's like, okay, bitch, you're going to tell me what the fuck is going on right now. I'm paraphrasing. So then when they do show up, the moment of Pippa saying, well, the truth is Bailey is, hey, everybody, right here. <laughs> Perfect time. But then when Blair comes home and Bailey is upstairs, Monica lets Blair think that Bailey is still lost. And they have this mother-daughter moment where Blair realizes how she fucked up, how she's like, oh, yeah, I, I had the, uh, another human being. Uh, I was responsible for the life and the welfare and protection of another human being. And I uh, didn't didn't do it. And, and Blair breaks down crying. We don't get a lot of Blair crying on the show, do we? Blair's actually playing it as though she lost a child and respect to her. But Monica is not even giving the slightest indication that she would be worried about this child to convince Blair. She's just like, oh, no, the child's gone. Like, you know, <laughs> like you might as well uh, give it a little bit more oomph, I thought. But, you know, uh, Blair's so concerned. So, yeah, she was doing some serious Lisa Welchel acting. Mm hmm. I felt like, and I could be wrong, but I got that Blair was more upset about being responsible than actually losing her sister. No, I think she like, was relieved about losing her sister. She was like, that's good. That's gone. I don't have to babysit this kid anymore. Because I, 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 <laughs> I feel like if you actually lost your sister, she would have been at a very different level than, oh, I've really messed up this time. You know That's what true. I mean? Like there would be there would be some franticness, but instead you're like, oh no, I guess I won't be babysitting next week now. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to say. I lost Bailey. What? <laughs> no, I would be screaming, oh God, mother, you're here. I lost Bailey. Holy fuck balls. Oh, yeah, <laughs> she's dressed like a clown. I don't know what happened. I had to go to a tea, mom, and I lost Bailey. Like, <laughs> Seriously, I, I I needed a little more franticness, but you're right. For Marge to stand there totally unconcerned. <laughs> it felt like it was giving away the game. Yeah. And while we're on that subject, they're all kind of really casual about, we have a kid here that doesn't belong. Not just we're missing a kid. We have someone else's kid that is missing. And the whole thing of once we get to Kate Como, Beverly Ann's like, oh, let's go into the kitchen and find the phone book and look and see if we can find a Comos to, it's, it didn't occur to anybody to say, let's go back to the movie theater. Clearly that's where the, 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 the mix up happened. If they I were the it, other they people answering, that was enough. But I would be like, go back to the movie theater, at least be there. Say, yeah. okay, manager, did someone come to you with a missing kid? 
Craigie, we had a kerfuffle. We're looking for a sprog. Sorry. Pippa, Pippa, shut the fuck up. Get off of my show. I have to start, and I wrote this down. I have to start. Um, I don't want to dislike her at all. She's a fine little actress, but what they give her to say, I I don't know if I want to call them um, punchable Pippa moments or something. (laughs) Like... (laughs) But when she walks in and goes, crikey, what a kerfuffle. Fuck off. I just. (laughs) We get it. You're Australian. Okay. Mm -hmm. Natalie's line at the end when uh, Blair is like, wait a minute, you were here all along and mom, you knew and let me go through all that. And Monica's delivery of, well, it was so refreshing, dear, to see you being so honest with yourself. It's like, yeah, that's that's a Monica line. Marge, Marge, slam dunk. Great, great, well done. And then Natalie chimes in. That's why I'm not having my kids till they're 18. Ha ha! Had to get in the borscht belt. Had to do it. And then if that's not enough, honey, bring on all the whimsy that you have got when after everything is all put back together, we don't know, did Natalie ever technically get her story? She called them from the thing and said bomb scare turns out to be nothing that's the story yes <laughs> so she's not yeah. even writing the story she's just uh she's just phoning in a sense but after everything all that you know everything that has all flown apart has come back together again right down to bailey noticing tootie's engagement ring which nobody else has yet everything is all wrapped up and <laughs> Beverly Ann and Andy come in with a third child dressed up exactly like the other two. And the final line of the episode, we found Bailey. Whackity schmackity do. Didn't think to double check and say, hi, little girl, what is your name? Are you Bailey? You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it's ridiculous, but I thought it was like the perfect like joke ending. It, it nailed that tone, especially the tone of the episode being so silly. Judy said no to uh, an offer of a hundred dollars an hour to babysit Bailey. She like did the the face painting, and then Blair was like, "I'll give you a hundred dollars an hour to just watch her." And she was like, mm, "Nope, I've had enough of motherhood." Are you kidding? She's getting an engagement ring. That's kind of a big deal. I'm, I don't know. My Bring thing is child. when you paint a child's clown face. And then have, let her paint yours. Don't need a mirror. Don't need to show them what it ends up looking like. It's just <laughs> couldn't couldn't have had a compact at least to say, look, look how pretty, look how funny you look, like you would with a kid. But oh well. As far as a season nine backdoor pilot, I would not watch this sitcom of Blair having to take care of a kid. I, no, I kept. I would love to learn more about the Comos. Like, couldn't we, like, just be a backdoor pilot into the Comos family? Make it a drama about a family that loses their two and or seven-year-old daughter no, uh, I and like, never gets her back. No, I like the idea of just a wacky Spanish sitcom where it's just full of misunderstandings. Like, Kay, I'm not Kay. Are you Kay? <laughs> what? Oh. Yeah. That's what I'm, I'm for. Yeah, and they they could have used were there were there any sitcoms catering to the Latinx population in the late eighties? What did we have? We had 
Uh, let me see. The failure of AKA Pablo in the early 80s. Um, I can't think of what, what would be like, you know, we had Chico and the Man in the 70s. David, Hollywood was just discovering Black people with 227, The Cosby Show, and Amen. <laughs> True. Uh, the True. Latin, the Latins. Oh, come on. That's Fox. That's. <laughs> It's like, look, we we got Rita Moreno on nine to five six years ago. That's isn't that enough? Isn't that come on? So we're at the end of another episode, gentlemen. Uh on the on the whimsyometer. Yeah, this came in hot and hard. And uh I have to say, I I as I said before, I do love a farce, and there were a lot of farcical elements about this. And other than a couple of points where I'm like, they could have maybe tethered it to reality a tiny bit more. I have to say I very much enjoyed this for a season nine episode. Any final thoughts before we before we take off, gentlemen? I wish that we had like one cut scene of Monica at the governor's lunch, just so I could understand what she's doing there and how she contributed to this governor's lunch. Whatever it is, I would just enjoy it. It'd, it'd be nice. Just a fancy banquet. Put her at a table. Have her just be like, thank you, Governor. And then like <laughs> cut out of it. That's all I need. <laughs> Have her writing her check and hearing like the lecture happening, like the governor is at the podium now during the luncheon exactly. and talking about how we have to get rid of these homeless people. And there are so many Latin people and black people. And we just have to find places and spaces for them to be that don't really interfere with our lives. On the network schedule. Um, <laughs> exactly. Have it be like, uh, you know, uh, that Monica is at a super radical religious right-wing rally type of a thing and have us have that scene happen and have us all be like, what? No, no, Monica. No, you're canceled. I'll take it just to get more fudge. <laughs> Matthew would be no fun. No. <laughs> well, Dominic, thank you so much for uh, for coming back and coming to play with us again. I hope you're going to be back with us again before the end of the season, before the series. Ends. I would love to. I know. Are you guys going and, to be covering things like the uh, the reunion movie? Oh, fuck to the yes. All right. I'm very glad we were able to do this in spite of our, our Hurley Kane situation in Florida. It looks like we, we have survived it and the worst of it is over. Uh, hallelujah. Once again, I will recommend your fabulous podcast, The Facts of Facts. I will put a link in the show notes for people who want to find it and hear more of you talking about the show. Next week, we're going to be watching season nine, episode 10. It's a wonderful Christmas. And we hope Ken Reed is going to be returning to the show. I still have to set that up, but let's cross everything we have two of. Listeners, you can watch the episode ahead of time for free at dailymotion.com. I will post the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you, Dominic. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And remember. The facts of life are all about fudge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Farewell, Fudge. We hardly knew ye. Bye. Bye. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and 
Erevan by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.